Hi, welcome to Notes from a Drama Watcher, a podcast about East Asian dramas. It's part review, part recap, so there will definitely be spoilers ahead. Let's go! Hi, this is episode 30 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. This is your host, M. Welcome if you are new and welcome back if you have been here before. In this episode, we will be talking about Color Rush Season 2, Episodes 1 through 4. It's finally out. Remember You, Episodes 13 through 16. That is the Thai drama I've sort of been reviewing slowly, which is the remake of the Korean drama I Remember You, aka Hello Monster. Also, Pumpkin Time, which is a Korean web series. And last but not least, not me episodes one through seven, which is the Thai BL starring off and gun. So I'm still watching paint with love. I'm just not going to be talking about it in this episode. And in the next episode, I'll be going over episode 10 and 11 for paint with love. So I'm going to start off with pumpkin time, which is our Korean web drama. This is a 10 episode web drama. It can be found on Viki. Each episode is about 20 minutes long. And it's the story of two childhood friends, Kang Taeju and Shin Hae-won, who were big fans of baseball and were always together playing or talking about their favorite sport. And they are separated, however, when due to his talent, Taeju gets scouted and moves to the U.S. to further develop his abilities. Through the years, though Teju has always wanted to return to Korea, he wants to see his best friend again. And they actually lose contact during this time. So what he doesn't know is that his childhood best friend, who was a boy, is now a girl. And how this happens is we see them as children in a park making a wish, um, probably kind of this like stay together wish or whatever. And someone overhears them, tries to fulfill the wish, but it backfires. So Shin Hae-won, who was a boy, has grown up and is now Hae-yoon, who is a girl. Taeju returns and enrolls in high school, making friends along the way. He's determined to find his childhood friends, not realizing about this change and not realizing that among the friends he makes, his childhood friend is there. She recognizes him, but obviously he doesn't know her because he doesn't know that she was once his childhood friend who was a boy. This drama is basically full of fluff. It's a fluff drama. It has a little bit of angst in it because Hae-yoon is not happy (laughs) that she is a girl. She's learned to live with it over the years, but it's not anything she wished for. And this is this is a fantasy show essentially. It doesn't delve too heavily into the supernatural, but the way that she changes genders was through magic. It's not that she had that she transitioned or had an operation or anything like that. It's all through magic, and so it, it was well not anything that she wished for. It just happened to her. She never expected Teju to appear years later. And so she's got this conflict of, should she tell him? Would he even believe her if she told him? It's not like she can say to him, you know, I transitioned and I had an operation. She's just like, what could she say? Oh, I magically turned into a girl one day. You know, would he believe that? So there's that conflict going. The other conflict is they were friends. Yes, they were kids. But now they are high schoolers. They're having emotions, etc. She actually starts to fall for him. And he starts liking her 
without realizing exactly who she is, but knowing that she seems very familiar to him. And so even when they start talking a bit and hanging out, Hyun now has this question in her head, does he actually like me? Or does he like the memory of who Hyun, of his childhood friend Hyun? She also has the option of returning back to her male form, to becoming a boy again. She has decisions to make deciding if she's going to go back deciding if she's going to tell him the truth etc so even though this sounds pretty angsty it's not super angsty as you watch it there is one episode that is slightly angsty you know she's trying to figure things out but other than that it is fluff short episodes as i said so something quick and simple to watch there's no kind of deeper storyline beyond this one of how her life was basically turned upside down by her gender being changed on her like that without her, not by her choice. The only other people that know that this happened to her as well are her cousin and her mother. So it's not as if the world is judging her or anyone around her knows anything about anything. This is all internal conflict on her part. Not something I would necessarily, you know, repeatedly watch, but if you're looking for a short fluffy drama, this may be a good one for you. These are high school students, quote unquote, so everyone's pretty young. The actress who's playing Hyun, I'm not sure how many things she's been in before. She was a little wooden in a couple of spots when she was trying to express her angst, but I feel like that's maybe just a young actress gaining experience. But other than that, I thought it was a decent little show. Also on Vicky, we finally get season two of Color Rush. So Color Rush Season 2 looks like it's slated for uh, eight episodes, according to my drama list. Each episode is about 15 minutes long. So it's finally begun. I'm going to be talking about episodes one through four here. They seem to be uh, putting up two episodes a week, at least so far. This is what they've done. It's available on Viki, And as I said, as of this recording, four episodes have aired. Now, if you have not seen season one of Color Rush, I would recommend that you watch it. They also have the Color Rush movie on Vicky, which is essentially the same thing as the show as season one with just like a few extra seconds and stuff thrown in. So just in case you haven't seen season one, let me just give you a quick run through. So Color Rush is a world. (laughs) It's like our, it's just like the world you see outside, except that in this world, there are people who are mono and probes. Monos only see the world in grayscale. They do not have the ability to see in color. Until, that is, they meet their probe. The probe doesn't, at least so far that we know, does not seem to have any special ability except that they are the ones who enable the monos to see in color. In this world, there have been several cases where monos have become so obsessed with seeing in color that they become jealous, they become possessive of their probes, And there's a reputation, at least, that they will hurt their probe or hurt their probe's family or the people around them so that they can have the probe all to themselves because they are so obsessed with seeing color out of after a lifetime of only seeing in grayscale. And because of this, our main character, Yeonwoo, had never wanted to meet his probe. He's afraid that he would become one of these obsessive people. He does wind up meeting his probe anyway, and his probe is a fellow student, a high schooler named Yuhan. So in season one, they get together. Season one, besides them getting together, though, also had a, a mystery in it of what happened to Yeonwoo's mother. She's disappeared. He doesn't know where she is. His father's actually passed away. So he's living with his aunt. 
who was also investigating the disappearance of her sister. So that's season one. We get into season two. Season two, the actor playing Yuhan, I don't know if he chose to leave. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but he's not in season two. So some they have to get rid of his character. And how they explain it is that he was kidnapped. So he's no longer on the show. Instead, we have another character named Hyuk. Hyuk is played by a member of the idol group Vix. So this season, Yeonwoo continues to ponder and investigate or begins to investigate the mystery of his mother's disappearance. As we said, Yuhan was kidnapped when he and Yeonwoo were together. For some reason, which I don't fully understand, <laughs> Yeonwoo keeps this a secret from their friends at school. And to be honest, considering one of his friends has some sort of psychic ability, I don't really know how that's even possible, but that's what they say in episode one. We have our, I'm sorry, I think I said the other character's name was Hyuk. The actor's name is Hyuk, the new actor. He's playing the character of Sehyun. This character takes an interest in Yeonwoo, even claiming to have been interested in Yeonwoo before, but not approaching him because Yeonwoo was always hanging around with, with Yuhan. In some ways, it feels like they kind of sprung this character on us out of nowhere. But I could very well see, actually, because Yuhan was a was a pretty possessive type of person, actually. <laughs> it's funny because there was that whole running thread in season one where Yeonwoo, as the mono, he's the mono, thought he was going to be overly possessive of his probe. But if you watch season one, it's pretty clear who the possessive one is. And it's actually Yuhan. So I do find it believable that Sehyun was, was actually somewhere there in the background in season one and just never approached Yeonwoo because Yuhan would probably, was probably giving him the stink eye if you ever saw him. So <laughs> I, I, I can see that happening. Yeonwoo's aunt, who was also in season one, is returned. She continues to investigate her sister's disappearance. She doesn't really want Yeonwoo investigating on his own because he is her only family left at, she, at this point. And she already lost her sister. But she finally agrees to let him help because he's basically going to investigate on his own anyway. So she may as well know what he's doing. To be honest, I do understand her fear of him investigating. He is, after all, a high schooler and he's been entrusted to her care. And this is a world in which even though people fear mono, monos, it's actually very dangerous to be a mono yourself because you face a lot of bullying and discrimination in this world. This is, in fact, how Yeonwoo and Sehyun are bound even closer together in this season, or will be bound closer together. Yeonwoo saves the girl from bullying she was receiving because she was a mono, not realizing that she's actually Sehyun's little sister. I'm not sure yet how I'm feeling about season two of Color Rush, except that once again, I'm feeling like we've got wasted potential here. The world of monos and probes could be such a rich fantasy or science fiction world, but it's hard to be effective in your world building if, if episodes are only 15 minutes long. If it were 15 minutes long, but you knew it was going to be 20 episodes, maybe you could flesh out the story, but we're already halfway through. I've said it before. I just really want someone to make this story the right way. I don't even care about it being BL at this point. It could be had. I really don't care. It just bugs me that this world has so much potential and it's being squandered, you know, but it could just be that because I'm a fan of science fiction and fantasy, it bugs me to have something with the potential of being really fascinating 
get short change like this with these short episodes. I don't know. We're not going to get a season three, so they're not going to expand more than whatever it is they have right now. But we'll see what happens in the next few episodes. Right now, we've just basically been introduced to Sehyun. We've got Yeonwoo investigating. He's met some of the people that his mother may have spoken to. Sehyun actually is kind of warning him about these people, that they may not completely be safe. Uh, these are other monos that he's met. Uh, he also hears something about a probe surgery, but doesn't really know uh, what that entails. Well, he knows that it is possibly a way to see color without having to have a probe. But who knows if that's really true or not? It could be a rumor, etc. Sehun really, really is taking a deep interest in him. Four more episodes to go. So let's see what happens in the last half of the show. I do have to say, I so some people had problems with um, Hyunjin, who played Yuhan in season one. I thought he was okay. Um, he's new to acting, so I, you know, I gave allowances for that. Plus, I love I love the world of monos and probes. I think it's really interesting, so I made allowances for that as well. But I do have to say, I think they did a good job of choosing Hyuk to play Sehyun. I think he's playing him with a very mischievous and mysterious and sly way. He's clearly very interested in, in Yeonwoo, puts Yeonwoo on edge in many ways, the same way that Yuhan used to put Yeonwoo on edge in season one. And it's, it's fun to see that dynamic. It's a little strange because it's a different character from season one, but you, you do get to see that dynamic. You know, Yeonwoo is not used to people getting close. He's not used to having friends. It was very hard for Yuhan in season one to, to get close to him. So Yuhan succeeded, but that doesn't mean that Yeonwoo just goes around making friends willy-nilly, right? So to see Sehyun try to get closer to him is interesting. And he has got his own agenda as well, which you're not quite sure what it is, although you do get a bit of his backstory in episode four. So I'm glad that at least in that aspect, they succeeded in the change because sometimes when you make a change of a character in a show like that, it doesn't work, but I think it is working just fine here. So next up, I'm going to talk about Remember You. And then the last thing I'll be talking about is Not Me. So Remember You, episodes 13 through 16. So that takes us to all the way to the end of the show. It's a show that may be of interest to you if you enjoy watching thrillers. It can be a bit gory sometimes. I found it in some ways, more gory than the Korean one, which it is a show about killers, so <laughs> that's to be expected. But it's not all action and gore, because as I've stated in my previous co podcast, there's a lot of emphasis here on the relationship between the brothers, especially now that they know who they are to each other, because when the show began, they did not know, or at least Doc, the main character, did not know that Patai, who we come to know as Mina, was actually his little brother. Mina is angry at what he perceives to be his brother abandoning him. But at the same time, he also just wants to be around his older brother and is sad for all of the years that they missed together. As they spend more and more time together, he comes to realize that his brother did not in fact abandon him as he had been led to believe all those years by Pat McCorn, who was the serial killer who killed their father and then kidnapped Mina. We also learn a little more about Pat McCorn's motivations for what he does or what he did and his realization that he may have thought he was doing a good thing but it didn't absolve him from the fact that he has killed a lot of people you learn that he did it 
because he thought he was saving children who had been abused because he himself had been abused as a child. But he didn't ask the children if they wanted to be saved. I mean, there are children, they don't, they don't know what to answer him. Obviously, if he came up to them like this, but once some of them realized that he was the one who killed their parents, they're not grateful for what he did. They had rough lives before and after their parents had passed. But it's hard for Pat McCorn because he has no real understanding of family and human connection. And a perfect example of this is actually episode 13. He decides to let someone know, a killer know, that Patai, attorney Patai, is in fact Mina, the little brother of Doc, who their father was the one who had put this man away. And in the course of him being arrested, his fiance fell to her death. And so he decides in revenge, he's going to go after someone close to Doc to kill them. And Pat McCorn plants the bug in his ear that it's Mina, who is his brother and is close to him. Mina is not really close to Doc, right? They did not grow up together. They were together as little children, but then were separated afterwards. He wants to be close to Doc, but he doesn't know that Doc would come for him. Actually, he doesn't even know at first why this man is targeting him anyway. He only realizes later. And Pat McCorn set this up as a kind of test so that Mina could know that Doc does love him and would come for him if he was in trouble. So he viewed it as a gift for him. The problem is that Mina almost got killed. <laughs> he was severely assaulted. He was stabbed. Actually, this is one thing between the Korean and the Thai version. The Thai version of this fight between Mina and this killer is even more high stakes than the Korean version. The Korean version was high stakes. He got stabbed. In the Thai version, he's almost thrown off of a roof <laughs> on top of being stabbed. So it was even more high stakes than in the original. And in that way, it was more impactful than the original. And one other difference is when Doc comes to save him, he has to make a sort of sacrifice or be hurt trying to save Mina, trying to save his little brother as well. And that's something we didn't necessarily see in the original Korean version. The last few episodes of the show are not that different from the Korean version. We have people discovering what happens before, which was Pat McCorn was basically able to escape because of career ambitions that people had. They made a deal with him and he used that opportunity to, to escape and they had to cover up what had happened. Even when people try to come clean all these years later, they wind up being hurt or killed because Pat McCorn, he's right there working in the police station, right? So he knows everything that's going on and he's able to not go after people personally, but because he's got all these kids that he's saved over the years, some of them feel like they owe him a favor. And one of them actually kills the lieutenant who is the one who raised Doc. And it's someone close to them who does it. So that's another mystery they have to discover. Who was the person who killed her? Who in their circle is close to Pat McCorn? And all this time they're trying to close in on Pat McCorn and to put him away. Even though they know exactly who he is, they need the evidence for it. At the same time, we have Mina and Doc living together. And Doc, happy to be with his brother, but at the same time, there are certain mannerisms, there are certain things that Mina says that make Doc realize like he needs... He needs a lot of help, a lot of mental help. And 
he doesn't want to try to brush it away, hide it away, lock it in the basement as his father tried to do to him. He wants to actually help Mina. And at the same time, Mina realizes that in trying to protect him, it's painful for Doc. He may not feel happiness. And I points out that Doc, in, tr in order to try to protect Mina, may wind up running away with him to try to evade him being arrested. And would that make him happy? And so that gives Mina a lot to think about. And in the later or in the last episode, he confronts Pat McCorn. He's gravely injured. And as a sort of gift, Pat McCorn gives him to Doc. And in the Korean version, they disappear for a while, Doc and Mina. You don't see what happens with them. And that's something I liked better with the Thai version, that you see them frolicking on the beach, <laughs> hanging out together. I think they're away, they were away for like a year or something. And they had time to just be together, to be brothers. And they probably would have stayed that way forever. But Mina, in the back of his mind, knows that this is basically a fantasy. That Doc needs to get back to the real world. He won't be truly happy unless he's back in the real world. And that he has fallen in love with I. And that he is missing her. The interesting thing is Pat McCorner's one of his also a final gift was he left a new identity for Mina and it's up to Mina to decide if he takes the new identity but if he does that he can never see his brother again he'll be free but he can never see his brother again and so he has a decision to make and what he decides is he's going to go to jail he gives himself up all just for the chance the possibility it's not a possibility the certainty that by doing this, he'll be able to stay in his brother's life. Even if it's his brother visiting him in jail, he'll still be able to be with him as his brother. And that's really all he's ever wanted in life. He even chooses to turn himself in directly to I and asks her to take care of his brother for him. This is a thriller, as I said, but in many ways, it's really about the relationship between the brothers. And it's so sad because... Their lives could have been so different if he had gotten help when he was younger. You do see the backstory to their explanation as to why Mina became the way that he did. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know how correct or logical what they're saying is, or if it's just, you know, purely for the drama. But they do give their reason as to why he is the way that he is. And I think that time that he had with his brother, where they were just by themselves on the beach, away from everyone else, was a very healing time for him. And it's a hopeful ending. The Thai version and the Korean version is a kind of hopeful ending. You even see, you don't see him smiling here. In the Korean version, Park Bogum smiles as he walks away and leaves behind that new identity where you know that he's decided he's, he's going to be himself get arrested, and but still be able to keep his brother in his life. And you can see that just by being around his brother all this time, that his humanity has slowly been restored for him, to him. So there is some hope for him as well. They also have a little more romance in the Thai version and in the, in the Korean version. So we do see some fun moments between our male and female lead at the end. The Korean version doesn't show this at all. It shows them reconciling, but... It doesn't show them hanging out and on a, practically on a date and things like that as in the Korean, as it does in the Thai version, sorry. 
But my favorite thing really is that the glimpse of the of the life together that we saw between the two brothers. Now, Pat McCorn never actually gets caught <laughs> in either one of these versions. He's still around. The original Korean version, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, I recall did not have really good ratings when it was out. So they never did do another season. I don't know for this one, for Remember You, how it's doing. Because it's on Netflix. Netflix doesn't really put their ratings out like that. I don't know if it was ever on live TV in Thailand or not. But it does have that kind of open ending if they ever wanted to do a season two for it. I would watch it for sure, especially if Tate Tawan was was back there again. I thought he did pretty well in this role. I wasn't sure how I would do because Park Bogum I thought was really excellent in the role. But Tate Tawan really held his own. So if you want to see, if you're a fan of Tate Tawan or if you've seen him in BLs and you want to see him doing something completely different, <laughs> I would say take a look at Remember You on Netflix. I'm going to talk about Not Me. So I'm going to go over it, not episode by episode for this particular podcast, because I've seen one through seven and it's I'm almost current. Episode eight is going to be showing in a few days. So my next few podcasts I do will be probably episode by episode or two episodes at a time. So Not Me, one through seven. Not Me stars so many actors that I really enjoy. I'd been seriously considering watching just because of Off and Gun, but when I saw that Mons and Gawain were there, that was really the icing on the cake for me. I have to say, though I knew Off and Gun were good together, of course, I had no idea just how much I would enjoy our side couple, Dan and Yok, played by Gawain and First, respectively. I know Gawain from Dark Blue Cliffs and really liked his character there. He played Mork. I sort of know first from Shipper, but honestly, Shipper, I kind of skipped around when I watched it. So I didn't really get a true feel for him as an actor. I'm not that big of a fan of swapped body storylines. So I'll be honest and say I didn't really give it much of a chance. But I do plan to go back to it and really watch it thoroughly precisely because I've been so impressed by first here and not me. So... Not Me is currently showing on Sundays on YouTube, and according to my drama list, it's going to be 14 full-length episodes. In episode one, we're introduced to twins Black and White as children. Through an accident in a swimming pool, we discover that Black and White have some sort of psychic connection where they feel each other's pain. Their parents, who really were going to split up anyway, use this as an excuse to split the twins up so that they don't get hurt. White goes with his father to live in Russia, while Black stays in Thailand with his mother. Ten years later, White moves back to Thailand, and this is where we discover that White has lost contact with his mother and his brother. Adults White and Black are played by Gunn, who does a great job, which, you know, we knew that was going to happen. <laughs> he does a great job playing these two men who have very different personalities from each other. White has grown up as the son of a dipl diplomat, moving in wealthy circles, really, while we still don't know much of Black's life at this point. But we do know that he was part of a gang. Now that White has moved back, the twin connection is back in place, and he's at a dinner where he's, his father takes him to meet some of the elites. He suffers a physical breakdown. He doesn't really understand why. I mean, we know at this point something's happening to Black because they show Black being chased. 
White doesn't discover what happens until a childhood friend, Todd, contacts him to tell him that Black has been attacked and is now in the hospital in a coma due to his injuries. White decides he's going to take Black's place, essentially becoming Black, so that he can figure out who it was that almost killed his brother. Their childhood friend Todd is played by Singh. He's the one who calls Black, I'm sorry, who calls White to tell him Black is in trouble. And I have to say there's something so suspicious to me about Todd. From the very beginning, he's just been very suspicious to me. I've really wondered about him. And as the show progresses, we do see him helping White in many ways. But we also discover that he's someone who is very wealthy and privileged. And he seems to have the very lifestyle that Black was fighting against. So it's odd that they would have been good enough friends that Todd would have known that Black had been hurt. Unless, and I'm wondering, was he there during the attack? Was he part of the attack? I don't know. Singh is playing this character in a helpful but somewhat sinister way, but maybe they're just doing that to, sh to throw us off track. But in any case, White, as Black, is now part of the gang. And we discovered through his interactions with other people in the gang that they're friends, but not really friends in the sense that they don't trust Black. He hasn't, apparently hasn't treated them well. So we've got Sean, who is played by Off. Yok is played by First. And Mons plays Graham. Graham is Black's best friend. There's some kind of animo animosity between Black and Sean that we don't know at this point. So the first thing that happens when White shows up one of the first things that, that happens when White shows up in the garage, he doesn't know how these relationships go at all. He doesn't know that Black had this very tense relationship with his supposed friends. So he's kind of trying to say hi to people and they're giving him the stink eye and he doesn't really get why. And he's kind of being nosy around the garage and, and tries to get in through this locked door of this one room. And that's when we meet Sean, who grabs him by the back of the neck and acts as if he's going to strike him in the face. And White's first reaction is to flinch back and hold his hands up to protect his face. And that's that makes Sean stop and look at him because he's like, what is wrong with you? Because that's not a reaction that Black would have had. Black is this tough, no holds barred kind of guy. And White is much softer than that. White did not grow up fighting. I was going to say fighting against injustice. He didn't grow up fighting against anyone. He's not a fighter. You see flashbacks from when they were little. And even then it was Black who was the one who was more aggressive and everything. White is just not a fighter like that. Even when they were little, he wasn't a fighter, but even more so those 10 years that he spent in Russia with his dad, he grew up pretty sheltered and around people of privilege, right? So he hasn't had to think about things. He hasn't had to fight for anything really. But Black does fight for things. Black is part of this gang who's trying to fight against the elite. I forgot actually to mention Gumpa, who is the leader kind of a leader of the gang. He's the one who owns the garage where they all hang out. So part of what they do as a gang is they're also trying to do things to fight against the power structure. And the person in power, or who is very powerful, is someone named Tawi, who is a very wealthy businessman, who they feel is taking advantage of poorer people and is discriminating against people, etc. So they decide to make a point. They're going to burn down his home in the forest. Looks like a second home that he has. 
And Black is actually supposed to be the person that was leading that mission. But of course, White has no idea how to lead a mission, what the mission was, what the plan is. He knows nothing. They keep looking to him for answers and he just has no idea what's going on. It actually makes me really nervous to, to watch White. I saw episode one when it came out and then I didn't see any for a long time because I was watching Bad Buddy. I was watching other things, but also just White had me so nervous in that first episode. I was like, you're going to get caught. <laughs> Every time he did something or had a weird reaction, I was like, you're going to get caught. <laughs> so I didn't watch for a while. But then after Bad Buddy, I decided to get back to Not Me and binged episodes two through seven. And I am so happy I got back to it because this show is so interesting to me. I will say right up front, if you are a BL watcher who is just watching things for romance or you want to see a bunch of people kissing each other all the time, <laughs> you know, that's your choice and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but this is not that kind of show, at least not yet. This is a very serious show about political corruption, possible political corruption, elitism, discrimination, the plight of the, not just poor, but I would say middle class, just the plight of people that don't have a bunch of money, societal ills. This, this is a lot of social commentary in this show. It happens to also have some romantic leanings. We know at some point, Sean and White will probably get together. Dan and Yolk, my goodness, love at first sight for Yolk. From the beginning, they've been giving up each other these gazes since the first moments that they met. But this is very, this is a very serious show that gives you a lot to think about. I actually feel if you're someone who likes Manner of Death, I think you would really like this show. Because that show had also, aside from the BL aspect of it, it was an actual storyline. It was about... If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it. It was about sex trafficking, political power, etc. This is also a very, Not Me is also a very serious show. So I think if you like Manner of Death, you would like Not Me as well. Speaking of our second couple, our side couple, Dan and Yolk, they actually meet in episode two when the team goes on their mission to set fire to Tawi's forest home. Dan is there and he's actually doing a painting inside. I was going to say graffiti, but a painting inside the home. And that's what he does. He has this kind of subversive artwork that he does. And that's his way of protesting against the elite. He did it not knowing that this gang is about to come and set the house on fire. And they don't realize he's there either because they're not actually trying to hurt anyone. They were just trying to hurt the property, really. So it's black, or I should say white, who realizes that there's a person in the house. So they go back in to try to get him. Black goes back in. White goes back in, winds up getting hurt because it's smoke and fire everywhere. So it's Yolk who has to save Dan from inside because Dan is disoriented at this point. And that's how Dan and Yolk meet. And for Yolk, it was love at first sight. Dan was just disoriented. I don't know if he felt anything at that moment except that he really needed to breathe, you know. But immediately Yolk is fascinated by him and actually wants to see what he looks like because part of Dan's face is covered by a mask. So he can't see him. But when he goes to take the mask, Yolk goes, I'm sorry, Dan goes running off. And this is like a thread through the next episode. Yolk now is looking, is actively looking for Dan because he's so intrigued by him as an artist. But also, like I said, I think it's just love at first sight. But Dan 
it just keeps running away from him because he doesn't know what he wants. And he is doing something illegal, tagging all over the place. And he knows that somehow Yoko's involved in setting places on fire and stuff. So when he sees them, he runs. So this is really the next few episodes. They go on another mission. White is still trying to figure out who it was that could have hurt Black. More characters come into play because in the meanwhile, he discovers that Black had a girlfriend he broke up with named Eugene. You know, it's like, why did he break up with her? Which we come to discover. He basically broke up with her to protect her because he knew something was going to happen and he didn't want her getting involved. But also Sean and White start getting a little closer because White winds up moving to the garage and Gumpa makes him stay with Sean in his room. And that's where White discovers that Sean suffers from nightmares and that, you know, he's had a trauma in his life. But it's still not romantic at this moment at all. They're just, there's too much animosity between Sean and who he thinks is Black for them to get along. And White has to play the role of Black. So he tries to act as Black. The problem is White is a very caring and kind person. (laughs) So when he sees Sean having nightmares, he can't help but to try to comfort him or whatever. And that's just not something Black would do. Black would have probably like kicked him off the bed or something. So his behavior is a little odd to Sean and it causes him to look at him even more closely, etc. That's where we stand in the earlier episodes. In episode six, they go on another mission. This time, Sean is given the chance to lead the mission. And in this mission, they will add a foreign substance to the drinks made in Tawi's factory. This is Sean's plan, and they are following. He has a personal grudge against Tawi, in addition to wanting to fight against him on principle. We saw earlier in, in an earlier episode, in class during a lecture, Sean talks about a case in which there is a truck driver who had been killed after being accused of transporting and selling drugs. He felt it would have been impossible for this driver to be acting alone in such a big operation, or even that the person was framed and was not a drug dealer in the first place, and just took the fall for Tawi as part of shady business practices on Tawi's part. We see later on in another flashback that Sean's father had been killed by the police, leading you to wonder whether it was his father he was referring to in that truck driver case. It would explain why he seems to have a personal grudge against Tawi. White, on the other hand, disagrees with Sean's method and thinks it would turn the public opinion against them to add a foreign substance to to the drink because it might make people sick. Or they would have the perception that this group was trying to make people sick and it would obscure the message they're trying to do, which is to show that Tawi is shady, doesn't have good business practices, is not protecting his products, etc. White winds up altering the plan mid-operation. And in his anger, Sean begins to choke White. First, he hits him with his bicycle helmet, which I'm surprised it didn't crack his head open. And then he begins to choke him. And that episode six ends in that way. And episode seven, when it begins, he's still choking him. (laughs) And Yoke and Graham have to pull him off of White before he kills him, really, or at least really, really hurts him. And this is actually one of my issues. My one issue, I would say, with episode seven is that they never address this. He never apologizes to White or just address it in any way. I know he's not going to get down on his knees and apologize. White would probably probably at this point find it really odd if he did that, but he doesn't even address it at all. That's his reaction. But White's reaction also is he just seems to let bygones be bygones. 
which is surprising. He doesn't show any wariness to Sean, which actually he, does, he doesn't see him for most or a lot of the episode until much later. But even when he does see him, I would probably be stepping back, not sure what's going on if Sean came up to me after what he had done earlier. But like I said, White just seems to just let it go. In this episode, we see that mainstream media doesn't even cover the... They do cover them breaking into the factory, but they turn it into a negative against the group. White and Graham are looking at the news and then White says, let's look at a different website, independent website, because that might give us an idea of what other people are thinking. And that's where they discover that the story is being covered using information that White sent anonymously. Not only is it being covered, but people have been inspired to protest with them. It seems to have galvanized certain members of society to make their voices heard about various issues. And some of it is has to do with marriage equality. Some of it is rights for disabled workers, disabled people, gender discrimination. All these groups coalesce to make their voices heard. This is where, at this protest, is where we see for the first time after the fight, Sean and White meeting up under this giant rainbow flag that is being held aloft while people shout for Tawi to get out and for marriage equality. And the pride and joy in the faces of the protesters, as well as the chosen musical score, it makes for a very touching, emotional scene. I was really, really touched as I was watching it to see these happy, like I would describe them as happy faces because they were happy that they were together as a, as a group supporting each other. White is there as part of the people that are chanting and holding up the rainbow flag. And Sean arrives and we see Sean watching White who is smiling widely as he participates. This is probably where Sean begins to see white with new eyes. This is a side of who he thinks is black that he has never seen before. He heads towards white as he stands up under the flag and winds up holding hands with him. And I believe I read somewhere that director Nucci said that episode seven is where Sean begins to fall for him, for who he thinks is black. And you can really see it here. And it makes me wonder, when is it that Sean will learn that this is in fact white? And how will he feel about being fooled all this time? I also wonder <laughs> how Black will react when he wakes up to seeing Sean and White getting together, considering the animosity between Black and Sean. We also, in this episode, get a lot more screen time for Dan and Yoke when Dan comes looking for Yoke at the university to get back his police ID. Because in episode six, they had met up again one of the times that Yoke, that I'm sorry, Dan ran away, but as he was running away, Yoke had picked his pocket and in his wallet found his ID card and that's where he found he was a police officer. So Dan shows up at the school to get his card back and winds up sort of kidnapping Yoke <laughs> and bringing him to his secret hideout where he has his artwork and where he stores things. This is where for the first time ever, they have an actual real conversation with each other where no one is running away from the other one and where they just are talking about their art and they get to know each other a little better. And while they are there, the way they look at each other, the chemistry between First and Gawain is really something else. I did not know what the chemistry was going to be like. I actually posted this on Twitter. I did not know that First had such expressive eyes. I did not see it in the episodes of Shipper that I saw, or I didn't pay close enough attention to it. But here we see his eyes are really expressive. He looks totally infatuated with Dan. 
And Dan has been startled by him this whole time, so we haven't seen it that much. But here we see he's just as fascinated by Yot. So they're both looking at each other with these very intense gazes. I'm really enjoying the show because I watched episodes two through seven or over the course of just a few days. I was able to basically binge it and enjoy it that way. But now that I'm caught up, I'll have to suffer as I wait week by week to watch it. So which has its own thrill. It's kind of like when I was watching Bad Buddy. Every week I had this anticipation of knowing I was going to see something good at the end of the week. So that's how I'm feeling with Not Me. I know that I'm probably going to see something good on Sundays when it comes on. It's really kind of a thrill to wait and see how the story develops next. I've been fascinated by the social commentary I see in this show. And though there are differences, I can see parallels between Thai society and U.S. society. After all, social, gender, and economic discrimination and inequality are also issues being discussed in American society as well. Marriage equality finally happens in the U.S., but there are still hate crimes committed against members of the LGBTQ plus community. We still have people living in extreme poverty, sometimes just a few miles away from billionaires. We still have people with disabilities fighting for their place in society, and we still have people of color fighting for their rights as well. This show really makes you think. It's the opposite of fluff. (laughs) I love watching fluff, but I also love the option of watching a show like this one with a deep storyline and a really good cast. I don't really know anything about the director, Nucci, but I want to thank them for bringing such a thought-provoking show to us and kudos to whoever chose the songs for the OST. Sometimes you hear about a setting or a place being like another character in the show. In this case, it's almost like the music is another character. All the music is great and and they're really fitting to the tone of the show And I have found myself replaying the songs often during the day, which does not happen a lot. It's an interesting soundtrack they chose because about half the songs so far are Western songs and then the other half are Thai, but they all fit really well into the show. So just all around a really good show and something different from what I've been watching recently. And I mentioned before, if you liked Manner of Death, I think you would really like this. On the other hand, if you have not seen Manner of Death and you are enjoying Not Me, go check out Manner of Death. (laughs) I I think you would enjoy that. And Manner of Death actually is on WeTV. I'm not sure if it's on View or anything, but it is on WeTV and I believe it's free. I don't think you have to be VIP to watch it. So anyway, that is the end of episode 30. In the next episode of the podcast, I will be reviewing the next two episodes of Paint With Love, which would be 10 and 11 episode eight of Not Me, and I'm deciding on a third show. I did see the first episode of Enchante. It was cute. (laughs) I wasn't sure previously how the chemistry between the two leads would be because I'd seen them in an interview and I didn't really see it there, but I think maybe they were just nervous or something because the chemistry was there in the episode that I saw. I'm just not sure if I'm going to be watching it weekly, so I may not include it in the next podcast or may do a review at the end after maybe after the show finishes. But I'm also hoping to watch Rainbow Prince, which is a Filipino BL. But it's it's just a matter of having time. There's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> I know that's a, an issue that many people have, obviously. So thanks so much for listening in and for joining me for episode 30 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. If you want to reach out to me, if you have any suggestions, you can find me on Twitter at Drama Watcher 6 
or through email at dramawatchernotes at gmail.com. Thanks again and stay safe, everyone.